I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Robert Siebenthaler, Manager of Identity, Access, and Security at Peace Health, who will be discussing some of the measures that the healthcare entity has been taking to improve its identity management strategy. So, Robert, for starters, very briefly paint a picture for us to describe some of the security challenges that Peace Health has been dealing with with its identity management strategy, especially when it comes to clinicians and role-based access to patient data. So, about five years ago, we began a focused effort to try and be in compliance with the HIPAA role-based access requirements. And at the same time, we were investing $300 million and converting our 10 hospitals and about 200 clinics to Epic in Washington, Oregon, and Alaska. So at the time, we had a homegrown system, which was developed with a bunch of SQL and ASP and PowerShell scripts, and it became apparent that it didn't meet the automation requirements or any of the compliance goals. So we started kind of an interim thing to use the Microsoft Identity Manager, their MEM product, to automate tasks and match up people's job roles with their Epic access and what templates they would get. And one of the issues that we had there, we were going through an audit at the time, and it didn't provide the governance and the oversight that audit wanted. So at that time, we selected SailPoint to, to give us a better ability to do lifecycle management for our caregivers and meet those government requirements. So today, we have 24,000 caregivers actively accessing our medical records, and Of those, we have about 5,000 roles because we have so many facilities, so we break those down by facility and and department, and then there are specific job roles, and we match those up to like 300 different templates that they have in Epic. So we're 100% role-based access for all of our Epic. The challenges that we have remain are, and we have about 500 additional clinical-based applications that we we need to be able to do role-based or birthright entitlements for those. So now that we have the role base set up for our medical record system, we're we're reaching out to other applications, whether they be SaaS or on-premise applications. So, Robert, I understand also when it comes to onboarding new physicians and other clinicians that you've made improvements there, too, to your identity and access processes. Could you briefly describe what steps you've taken, what kinds of improvements are you seeing, and what was the onboarding process like before, and how much easier is it for you to give access to physicians and new clinicians to what they need to see? So prior to role-based, and when we were first rolling out Epic, because we were really new to it, as well as all our employees, so we didn't outsource the implementation of it, we did it in-house. It was taking us about 25 days for once our medical staff office and credentialing told us, hey, here's a position we want to hire, and here's a start date. It was taking about 25 days to provision a provider or a mid-level, which is like a nurse practitioner or like that. So since doing role-based access for our IT-related systems as well as Epic, we've got that down to two to three days depending upon their level of access and what specialty they have. And to achieve those, we integrated SailPoint with our credentialing system, which is Visual Cactus, our HR system, which is Lawson, and then Azure because we're an O365 shop, as well as a couple of internal databases that we have that track providers. So once we get the word to hire somebody, within two to three days, we can have a provider have full access to all the applications and birthright access that they need. 
And what type of authentication are you using? Is it multi-factor? Is it passwords? How, how are you handling that? We use MFA, and there's a couple of different kinds of access that they use. So on-premise, we're not necessarily MFA, but for everything external to us, because we have 4,500 community providers that use our facilities to either do surgeries or procedures. So all their remote access is through MFA authentication. Speaking about remote access, what are some of the challenges there for the access and identity processing when it comes to clinicians that are accessing patient data from remote locations, and how are you handling that? So those providers and other types of caregivers, whether they're speech pathologists or other types of therapists, they have a mixture of using company-owned devices that we have or their company, as well as their own devices, mobile devices or whatever. Remote and mobile access is based on their role and their birthright. So when we create those, we set up what their remote access is, and we use a mixture of technology and, of course, including MFA. And we also monitor those sessions related to access and behaviors utilizing some various AI security programs and procedures and investigative techniques. We use fair warning to monitor all the medical record access inside and out so that we make sure that people only get, you know, the appropriate access that they're being granted for protected healthcare information. And what about privileged user access? What are some of the challenges there, and how are you approaching that? So we employ a model with that that ensures just-in-time access with the least privileged method. So to achieve that, a lot of the work that we've done with role-based access, we set those up into containers, if you will, and use different security programs to grant that access and make sure that they're only allowed elevated access when appropriate. And Robert, going back for a minute to the role-based access, how granular is the role-based access? Is it based on a doctor and floor or the sorts of patients they deal so with? We, or how do you, you know, decide the role-based access that they get? So our start at the facility level, whether it's a hospital in Alaska or a clinic or in Oregon or wherever, and then we go down to the department level, and then we have the specific levels for the job role at that point. And the job role is made up of a mixture of what their credentialing and licensing levels are for the procedures they can perform and the job duties that they have. So, you know, we can have people in the same department with multiple job roles and even the same job title, yet they have different levels of access. And a lot of that breaks down to what they can see in the safety controls and epic for what procedures they can perform. Now, Robert, looking ahead are there any emerging identity and access management technologies that you're examining or that you think are promising for your organization, as well as other healthcare entities in general that are facing similar challenges? Sure. We have a number of challenges in IM, that's for sure. A number of the cloud-based applications are increasing across our whole healthcare system, and we need to have ways that we can quickly adapt and provide appropriate and safe access at those times. So we're seeing a huge increase, of course, in, in our Azure authentication through the Microsoft Marketplace. A lot of our supply chain and financial software is going to Amazon Web Services. We're seeing an increasing number of robotic process automation coming in, and we need, need to be able to track those. Another thing that we have is we, since we do business with so many insurance companies as well as the government for Medicare and Medicaid, we have about 3,000 software-as-a-service sites or SaaS sites that we have to use. Most of those don't support standards like SAML 
or skim to allow, you know, kind of cross-domain management, and it's preventing us from doing deep provisioning. We're working really closely with our vendors and government agencies to try and get them to adopt standards so that we can do more role-based access for those, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, or, you know, Blue Cross, or one of the other type of insurance companies that we work with. And we've also brought that into our application rationalization and governance when it comes in. So one of the criteria now is they have to have IAM automation, a process that we look at it, so whether they use scammer or whatever those are. So our whole healthcare system, and I think healthcare in America in general, is transforming from an acute-based healthcare system, which we are, which is a hospital-based system, to more community-based health and wellness. We're going to have to come up with some innovative ways to allow access to healthcare information for the broader community while maintaining, you know, appropriate access and controls and oversight. So those are the challenges we see coming. How about providing access to vendors that come in? They're not really employees, but they're maybe vendors that lend some services, but they need to access records for certain things. How do you do that access? Is it you know sort of temporary access? Are these special categories of access that you provide for these sorts of people that aren't part of your regular workforce? We spent a lot of time cleaning that up because over the years we created service accounts. We had Vendors with VPNs, which is not secure. So what we, our goal was we set out about a year ago to remove our vendors, people that come in and do, you know, upgrades to our servers or apply patches. We move them out of our AD and we run them through a product called SecureLink. And so they only have access and only have visibility to those and the rights to those servers or whatever they need to perform maintenance in. And it, it's really helped us from an audit perspective to get them out of our AD. That's how we do that. And finally, Robert, as you know, you know, a lot of the sort of cyber attacks that we see in healthcare, whether it's phishing attacks or, or similar sorts of attacks, often involved stolen credentials, you know, people falling for fake emails. What are you doing in that area to sort of prevent those sorts of incidents? So we, we have a continuous education campaign and communication campaign around phishing and whaling and all those kinds of things. We run some internal we have some external companies come in and do, of course, pen testing. And a lot of times we'll add phishing into that. But our SEC info group is constantly, they're out into our networks face-to-face with providers and caregivers, you know, trying to make it real for them. They do scenario-based training as well as we have annualized training that we do. And then, of course, on our security side, we're using a lot of different products, Microsoft Advanced Threat Protection and various other technologies to prevent intrusions of those sorts. Thanks, Robert. I've been speaking to Robert Siebenthaler of Peace Health. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.